Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Tantras Mantra where we go behind and beyond the tech news headlines. I am Prakash Sangam, founder of Tantra Analyst and your host. We have an interesting subject to discuss today and it's about millimeter wave. Ever since a millimeter wave band was introduced for 5G a couple of years ago, it has seen some hype cycles and people either love it or hate it. There are many who swear that millimeter wave is the future and others who absolutely despise it and consider it irrelevant. As with many such things, the truth lies somewhere in between. Right? The, the, the fact is, millimeter wave band is the best when used for the right reasons and for the right use cases. That is for capacity fortification of networks in dense deployments and for areas with high data traffic. It indeed is not a coverage solution, but a capacity solution. But identifying those use cases, locations, and most importantly, finding out the right thresholds which make millimeter wave deployments worthwhile is easier said than done. Another major question almost every 5G operator is looking to get answer for is if they do indeed deploy millimeter wave, which of course is a huge investment, what would be the ROI like? In how many years? What kind of uh, return on investment and so on. To discuss these questions and issues surrounding them, we have the perfect expert uh, with us today, and that is Stephen Rose, who is the executive partner at Bell Labs Consulting. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Very glad to have you with us today. Stephen recently published a comprehensive report with a detailed techno-economic analysis of millimeter wave deployments, which answered many of the questions I just raised in my monologue. We'll talk about some of the aspects of the report in today's podcast. But uh, before that, let's get uh, started with some introductions. Stephen, could you please tell us about your background and about Bell Labs Consulting as well? Yes, it would be my pleasure. So um, hi, everyone. My name is Stephen Rose. Uh, and I'm working for Bell Labs Consulting. I'm looking after my, my responsibility is for two main domains inside of BLC. One is in looking after the Europe and the Americas business. Mm-hmm. And the second one is I looking after the, uh, the digital operations practice. And uh, role of BLC, although we are, we are a part of Nokia, we're a, we're, we work at arm's length from, from the main business. And that is because we consult with customers on some of the most complex decisions that they need to take when it comes to investment in different types of architectures or whether or not they are going to enter into certain types of markets based on the availability of a roadmap or certain types of technology. So we do the techno-economic modeling and the strategy behind that, and we enable customers to figure out what is the optimal path to make their investments going forward. Perfect. And that arm's length with Nokia is important because there might be a lot of conflict of interest when you are you know, uh, advising uh, your customers on whether you have you know, complete impartiality and so on, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and impartiality is, is, is the key word here. Absolutely. Very well. So uh, talking about this study, what specifically were you looking for when you did this study? And what did you find out at a very high level? We will dissect it and go into specific later. But uh, to get started, quick over would be helpful, I think, for all of our audience. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the key thing, and what we've been seeing in in for for a little while now, is is some of the skepticism, of course, or some of the concern around 
the business case for 5G. And, and, and of course, there's been lots of, of, of investment heavily in sub-6 frequency acquisitions, NSA and then NSA, of course. And now the industry has started to say, well, actually, we need millimeter wave. And the question is, well, why do we need millimeter wave? What is the key, you know, what is the key use cases behind it? What is the return on invested capital or the return investment? And so we, we set about trying to actually identify a practical and profitable use of these technologies and determine where to deploy uh, and its trade-offs. So that's the study that we did. In terms of the approach or what were the, the, the key findings, I should say, the key findings were, First off, we, we went to a, a range of countries. So we went to six different countries and, and we had to figure out what was the addressable market for those particular markets when it comes to millimeter wave technology, of course. Uh, we assumed a 30% market share or there and thereabouts for the and some conservative assumptions around network investments. And ultimately, what we figured out was that over a period of 2021 to 2026, that the operators that we were assuming uh, would be able to actually capture nearly 8% revenue increase over the five years when surgically deploying the technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the surgical is very key point there, right? You can't just basically consider millimeter view to be just another band and go about doing business as you would with any subsequent frequency, right? It has to be, as I said, for specific purpose and specific use cases. I think that is very key, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And so what we did is took a, a long list. We got about 150 5G use cases and we investigated each of these individual cases. And we, we actually then were seeking to understand what primarily made sense for B2C markets and then considered also the enterprise and industry use cases. And so the markets that we were really looking at were UK, France, Spain, Russia, Germany and Italy for key indoor, outdoor and FWA uh, scenarios. And, and the key thing in this is that we had to perform a detailed TCO analysis. I think one of the challenges has been, if we look at typically how, how the business cases have been, 5G have been created so far, it's broad swathes of technology across broad geographies. In this instance, of course, we've had to go right down to very, very specific scenarios to figure out uh, what would be the case for for uh, millimeter wave versus sub six, but also we compared it to other te te technologies, including FTTH. And I'm assuming you talked to a lot of uh, OEMs, uh, operators themselves, some of the enterprises, and you know, the customers who would use such uh, use cases and so on. Yes, we did. And in fact, one of the benefits of of, of BLC is that we is that we've worked extensively with CSPs with local authorities and with industries. And so we have a deep understanding of those different types of environments, whether it be a campus type of environment, or whether it be a you know train station in the middle of, of, of a big city center or whatever it happens to be. So we understand those scenarios very well. And so, you know, we're able to model the deployment of the technologies to, to those specific locations. And there are two things that you needed to understand ultimately. One is how do actually people move in and around those particular environments? And secondly, what are the types of operational technology may inter interact with? And so once you understand that, then you can start to understand the parameters for things like productivity and safety and efficiency. And so what we're able to do is, is take all of that collective experience that we've got, bring it into the mix and figure out what would be the uh, typical business case for, for the deployment. Very well. So what are some of the findings, you know, uh, briefly, uh, top line findings that are uh, might be surprising to some, but... Uh, Many like us who have been looking at millimeter for a very long time, they're not really surprising, right? But it is more of a endorsement 
of what your gut feeling was, right? Kind of. Could you just briefly explain what you found out? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, so I, th- I think the first thing is is people need to understand just how much data is actually going to be consumed out there. So the first things first is is there's an enormous amount of data that will be consumed above existing traffic levels. We actually we're looking at something like 4,200 petabytes a year above and beyond what's already existing in the UK market. That's a 129% increase, absolutely enormous. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing that you had to th- figure out. And the second thing is, and we then had to obviously make a, an understanding of, of how you would actually see the spectral efficiency gains actually being deployed. So what the co- what the analysis shows is that we, with 100 megahertz of, of, of 3.5 in specific uh, zones with, let's say, high density capacity augmentation, there will be a requirement uh, to continue to actually uh, deploy and densify in, in the next years. But if you, if you actually then complement that 3.5, with millimeter wave, you start to then actually be able to have more strings to your bow, and you can then actually uh, not have to invest in 3.5 as much, of course, you're able to uh, to invest in, in millimeter wave. If we think about that in practice, 3.5 is essential, of course, as you said it earlier, for underlying coverage and, and, and serving users with, let's say, 5G differentiated experience, but it's not necessarily a cost-effective solution to serve capacity in hot zones and at high capacity locations. So, so when investing in, in the millimeter wave, you can deploy future-proof strategies and you can you can actually then mix and match between the technologies and optimize your, your return on investment for select locations. All right, very well. What are some of the use cases and the locations and the applications that you looked at uh, for, for the study? Yeah, I mean, there, there are many use cases that you can think of. I mean, whether it be streamed you know, video on, on demand or whether it be la- a laptop users, social media, of course, but, but social media in the new, in the new concept of, of how social media will be experienced. Cloud rendered games, of course, you know, so there's a lot of obvious one. But what we did is we had to you know, prove the case. So when we started, we, we wanted to prove that the hypothesis that we had could be that the, that the technology was able to be deployed profitably when deployed sur- surgically. So what we did is we took one of the first locations, sorry, that we took was a, was a real world scenario, which was Gare du Nord in Paris, uh, which is one of the busiest train stations in, in Europe. And the way that we went about that, we, we started by collecting crowdsource data to understand what takes place in, in that environment and where the heavy user, users are. And from that principle, we used the methodology I just descri- described, and there were you know, sort of three key findings there. The first one was, mm-hmm. as traffic increases, it, it's cheaper to cover the train station with millimeter wave instead of sub six, given the amount of frequency each band supports. So that's you know obviously 400 megahertz for millimeter wave versus 100 megahertz for sub six. The second key finding is, is that millimeter wave business case is very, very attractive with a, with a payback period of actually less than four years and an ROI of about 28% across this particular high density location. So that was fantastic. And the th- third finding was, was that there's a sweet spot for this. It's, it's in the range of between 1,000 and 3,000 subscribers. So if you're below that threshold, mm-hmm. your IRR is delayed, of course. If you're above that, you're, you're using too many radio base stations. So, you know, it was key that we found out what those sweet spots were. And then what we did just very quickly is, is we then took that modeling scenario and those characteristics, and we decided let's test that hypothesis in a couple of other areas just to prove the model. And so we did that with Oxford Street and Champs-Élysées and a couple of others. And we found similar outcomes for each of those scenarios. So we, we were pretty satisfied that the modeling was sound at that point. Well, I think one of the key benefit uh, of the report for operators is this 
threshold and the sweet spot that you came about i mean mm-hmm. operators need to know what is the threshold that basically need to be met to look at millimeter wave deployment where you know it will be more cost effective i think that key and significant information that mm-hmm. operators can readily use right away right uh, you know that that i think is pretty impressive and you mentioned most of the uh, study was based on the european markets but i would uh, think it would still be applicable to markets like us and japan with a similar characteristics right yeah yeah i mean I, I, you're absolutely right i mean i think the key thing is is that the findings of our study did not uh, include the cost of spectrum acquisition so of course if you do have material differences in the cost acquisition between different markets, then naturally you would get different IRR profiles, of course. But yes, uh, you know, all other logic, mm-hmm. it would be uh, universally applicable. Yeah, that, that's a good point. The cost of spectrum, of course, is key. Uh, but luckily so far, millimeter spectrum cost is negligible compared to sub six, for example, right? So that's a positive for millimeter wave. Yeah. Okay. When you look at 4G, for example, there was a limited amount of spectrum that operators had. And obviously, all of it was in sub-6 gigahertz. Luckily, with 5G, there is lots of spectrum. For example, if you look at you know, US operators, T-Mobile has about you know 160 to 190 megahertz of 2.5 gigahertz spectrum. Verizon and AT&T got close to you know, 160, 190 as well in their C-band uh, spectrum. And there is more mid-band spectrum in 3.5 gigahertz being auctioned right now in US. So the point is the amount of uh, sub-6 spectrum that operators will have is quite significant. In such case, do you think mm. operators will need millimeter wave in a very near future? I think they will. And I, I, I think if you, again, if you just look at the statistic that I gave you earlier, mm-hmm. I think there, there are a couple of points to consider. One is the amount of data traffic that will, will go in. And, and, and I don't know a single subscriber out there that actually is asking for less data. <laughs> and, and, this, yeah, and if you could point me to that person, I'd be staggered. <laughs> there, are, there are a few things to consider. One is, how is a subscriber actually being sold the technology? And the second thing is, how are the networks being designed in the future so that actually you can get seamless experience between different types of technology, but also relative to to, to the specific use case? So one of the key things I think is question for me is, is, are you going to see a proliferation of devices and service types? And if we look at you know Meta, if we look at Google, if we look at Facebook uh, applications, or sorry, Meta, but of course, Facebook and Meta won the same thing. But if you look at the amount of, of, of applications on the B2C side, it is absolutely clear mm-hmm. that the use cases will be, will be you know, only growing in demand. Similarly, on the enterprise side, you, know, you will see different ways in which actually applications will be used to drive uh, certain types of ap- operational technology. And again, in those very, very heavy, densely uh, populated locations, you will be able to, oh, sorry, you will want to have dedicated technologies and optionality as you as you uh, see the traffic profiles and the different types of service uh, grow onto the network. So, so I have no doubt in my mind that this will be a, a complementary technology. And uh, just to reemphasize, so it is not something that operators have to look at in the future. It's either, you know, right now if they have access to Spectrum or as soon as they have access to Spectrum, they can start using it to augment capacity in their networks, right? It's not something in the future. 
Yeah, I mean, again, it's it, because if you put it too far out, you, you you kind of miss the window in a certain sense because you'll have assumed a liberal deployment of 3.5 and then you'll have missed the, the, the opportunity to actually take hold of the millimeter wave case. And, and again, if I think about the use cases mm-hmm. uh, and I think about the opportunities, and again, for me, in fact, when, you know, when I looked at the analysis, it seemed like the medium term use cases in the environment were almost arguably more monetizable with millimeter wave than not. And again, if you just imagine you're at Gardenor and you want to download a movie for your kids mm-hmm. because you fancy some peace for the next two, three hours whilst you travel between two points, I think plenty of people would want to be able to do that in quick time without disruptive services. And I know plenty of parents, including myself with four children, that would probably want to pay for that convenience. Now, <laughs> in saying that, joking aside, mm-hmm. you know, the cases are very strong for industrial application and analytics as well. So you can imagine that that technology would be able to move between serving B2C customers, but also B2B customers uh, who would be then, you know, using that, whether it be the, the, the railway or the port authority or whatever else. I think the other thing to think about as well is that mm-hmm. B2C and B2B2C experience evolves around AR, the demand will also increase for that, whether it be gaming or VOD or webcasting or whatever else. So subscribers will always want that sort of fast and seamless access. The other interesting potential in this, by the way, beyond you know CSP, we also, although it's not part of our study, but it would seem obvious to me that there was an, a case for neutral host solutions and, and have the technology deployed through neutral host there would also be an opportunity for for uh, some of the risk to be shared amongst the CSPs if they choose to do so as well. So interesting, very interesting space. Correct. I mean, usually if you look back, right, the the forecast of data traffic has always been lower than what actually is. So if AR and VR become as popular as, as people expect them to be, then the data traffic will increase multifold than what we are forecasting now, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we were only sort of considering the impact of AR, VR in our study to be almost less than 10%, but but it, it takes nothing in this industry to suddenly see the traffic pivot to a, to an altogether different spike. And, and again, if we just look back historically, either it, it'll be an application, of course, that you know, being obvious, but the other one, of course, is when a device, a new type of device or a disaggregated form of the existing devices that are out there uh, or an IoT type of connectivity suddenly kicks in and, and that will create an enormous spike. And then that would obviously generate new willingness to pay as well. Correct. And this industrial IoT is another unknown piece that we are only starting to scratch the surface of we don't know how big that could be uh, it will take some time but i think that has a huge potential as well mm, absolutely and did you do any sensitivity analysis as in how much beneficial would it be to start sooner than later like say either start right now and you know from day one of ig versus two years after the deployments or four years or something like that any indications for for operators on you know uh, risks and benefits are in terms of timing yeah i mean i think the the key thing was 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 trying to understand what the what the mpv after a very, you know 5 years would be and we 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 were found that the payback period for this was 3 years so you could deploy the technology and again assuming all the things that we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. i think it's important to understand it's it's also that the way we're recommending millimeter wave to to be deployed so again we we talked about it before it's got to be surgically deployed and, and some of the other parameters that we were working with. So we assumed, you know, things like cell range, for example, around 200, 200 meters per millimeter wave for outdoor 
in dense locations, 45 meters for indoor. indoor. We also, for FWA, FWA, we consider a cell range of 100 meters in, in dense urban locations, up to 4,000 meters in rural locations. So we had to work with all of these different parameters. But, but I think the key thing in all of this, I think the demand is there today. Uh-huh. Uh, I think if, if you find a way to bring it into your into your tariff plan mm-hmm. in such a way that people will actually understand the uplift and that there is an incremental cost based on a specific scenario, then you can get, as I say, a payback period as quickly as three years, which is phenomenal for this type of technology. Yeah, that actually brings up another important point from the report. Most of this ROI, if not uh, all of it, is simply through this uplifting of data plans, right? Not any new fancy service and revenues from there, right? Can you explain what is the process and, you know, and I'm sure there are already examples of 5G operators benefiting from this data plan uplift, like in Korea, in US, in Europe, and so on. Exactly. I mean, I think the first thing's first, if you look, if you look to Korea, you can see that the willingness to pay between 4G and 5G has been absolutely clear and and the tariff plans have been have been key. Now, there, there are a couple of key things within that. One is mm-hmm. a lot of the success has been based on first off, uh, all you can eat tariffs. So that's a, that's a key criteria. Mm-hmm. The second thing that actually has been key to this is finding handsets in certain markets that are hidden below a certain price point. And I think the four off the top of my head, I think it was a four hundred dollar price point was actually what was being uh, uh, offered into the into the um, Chinese market. So I think if you find combinations of those things, I think that's where you'll get the revenue uplift. But I think even more on this one, it is because you are you are offering either you're going to either offer the contract to a subscriber for a very short period of time, you'll be able to, obviously, you've, you've got to make sure that your BSS can cope with this, but you've got a, a very simple way of upselling because you'll be in a, in, a, in a specific location. You can push a certain type of service level or you can or you can promote the idea towards somebody that they can actually have a certain type of service and, and, and of course, experience that in a very short period of time. So that's one way to uplift it. The other one, of course, is that if you're offering that to an enterprise customer, then you can obviously then offer that on the on on the basis of a change in any one of the parameters that I spoke about earlier, whether it be productivity, safety, or efficiency. And then, of course, at that point there, when you're when you're really into the into the uh, the central sort of workflows of a, of an enterprise business, then then the willingness to play is is much more obvious as well. One thing I found it myself, and I'm sure many enterprises feel it as well, that there is no throttling. And these are true unlimited plans, right? Although there were plans in 4G, which were called unlimited, but you always had this limit after which dreaded throttling would come down and broadband would be almost impossible to use. You always have that uh, salt hanging over, over your head, hitting that limit. So I think true unlimited plans really liberate you from that. And then, mm. you know, there is no inhibition of usage and if you can yeah. support that demand in a cost effective way i think it's a clear win win for both consumers as well as the operators and i think that's where millimeter can uh, can play a key role yeah no i i could not agree more in fact it's it's almost you know too obvious to say in this one but i think when you do democratize the technology and and millimeter wave is a brilliant way of, of actually democratizing 5g one of the things that you also do is you get the behavioral shift on the consumer side or on the enterprise side. 
And it's at that point there, once you get that you know, adoption, because nobody bothers about, nobody cares about how much Wi-Fi they're using at home, or you've got to have the same mindset as soon as they're leaving the home and to those specific locations. So then you get the opportunity to upsell. And the upsell at that point there, because people are not only used to the idea that there's an unlimited notion to their plans, they're much more focused on the experience rather than the cap. That's where you get to monetize on top of just the plain vanilla connectivity. That's another question I had was, this data plan uplift, you can do it to a certain extent. I mean, you cannot expect each and every subscriber to upgrade to a data plan for this. So just to be clear, the ROI calculations that you did were purely based on data plan uplift, right? Not looking at the other value-added services that operator can sell if they have enough capacity at a cost-effective uh, you know, price. Yeah, no, absolutely. But but again, I think you know, it depends on the on the sales model, of course. But if you're if you're selling the technology directly to consumer in let's say Gardenor, then that's one scenario. But of course you could be selling that whole service to Gardenor themselves, who are then selling that as a part of an upsell on their existing business model. So there are different ways in which you can monetize the data. But yeah, for the sake of, of this study, we were we were just simply seeing it as an incremental upsell directly to consumers and uh, and to uh, subscribers. Yeah. In terms of uh, deployment and so on, obviously it needs uh, you know dense deployment. Did you look at cost-effective options like repeaters, IABs, integrated access backhaul, and so on, or pure base station deployment? Yeah. So uh, I mean, as I said before, we we consider you know millimeter wave to be to be mm. deployed surgically. Are these hot zones in, in in high capacity sort of locations. We also co-locate with, with existing grid wherever possible. We assumed cost the cost of incremental backhaul if required on existing sites or new sites in our model. And in comparison between millimeter wave and FTTH, we assumed both deployments would actually require fiber so to the node. In terms of IOB, we didn't consider them in our study. We're concentrating on, on millimeter wave to solve capacity needs rather than extending coverage, and, and hence the, the repeaters weren't considered at this time. No, I see. And the backhaul is, I think, critical, and the cost and the availability of backhaul in different uh, countries is different. For example, if you compare yeah. US and you go to suburban and rural areas and then yeah. Asia, those are different, right? So those are the two things I think important for operators to you know, note. Yeah, yeah, of course, absolutely. And again, point to note there, cost of backhaul is incremental because of course they're already deploying anyway, so pretty big sway. So, but it should be not negligible, but it would also be inherent to existing deployment, of course on 3.5 and others. Very well. One last question, which I should have asked before, is the, the dependency on uh, the devices. So you need to have enough penetration of uh, millimeter wave supporting devices in the network to see these benefits. And I think the you know millimeter wave support going through all the tiers of the device is a key ingredient and key aspect uh, as well. I think that's yeah. one thing to note too. And I think you mentioned $400 and below is is a key point uh, for devices to yeah. make this really impactful that was on some of the you know macro deployments we've seen on 5g but i think you're right and i think it's classically one of those things you need to push you know the idea of of the technology can be attractive to various different you know sort of device manufacturers out there applications actually obviously are also on the other on the flip side and equally you know see the demand so i i think the industry still has some work to do in terms of Getting the understanding of the technology, I think that's the work that we need to do over the course of the next year, 18 months, 
But I think once people understand the applicability of the technology and once there's more of a, an understanding of the of return on investment, I think we'll see an uptake on the technology uh, ahead of us. Very well. I think that's a very good point. It's not a done deal yet. There is some work needs to happen from the ecosystem side. Thank you very much for all of your inputs. We covered a lot of ground and I would really bring you back again, maybe after a year or 18 months and see how things have transpired, many of the assumptions that were made in the report, how they have actually happened and so on. We'd really love to have you back on the show. It would be my absolute pleasure. Uh, we will be following this up and, and we will be uh, uh, checking to see where, where the uh, technology is, de- is deployed. So let's do that. Absolutely. Thank you for having me today. Thank you. Uh, once again, thank you very much, Stephen, for coming over. I appreciate sharing your insights. I'll include a link to the report as well as an article that uh, I wrote that discusses some of the salient points of the report in the description of the article. So, folks, uh, that's all we have for you now today. I uh, hope you found this discussion informative and useful. If you did, please hit that subscribe button down there on whatever platform you are listening this on. Again, I'll be back very soon with another episode, putting light on another interesting subject. Bye-bye for now. Bye.